This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us for How She Does It, where we talk about all things women, money, and power. Over the last few years, we've witnessed some bombshell, high-profile divorces, from Bill and Melinda Gates to Jeff Bezos and Mackenzie Scott. And what surprised me most was not the amount of their divorce settlements. I'm always thrilled to see women get what they deserve. But really, I was shocked by how low-key and mess-free their divorces were, which made me think that these women must have a professional dream team ensuring that all things go smoothly. So who are the women and men responsible for guiding America's wealthiest women through some of the choppiest waters? And the short answer is, when it comes to divorces worth millions, and especially billions, there is usually a certified divorce financial analyst involved, and perhaps more than a few therapists. But today, we're talking with one of those women who is going to tell us how it all works. Olivia Summerhill is a certified financial planner, a certified divorce financial analyst, a psychology of financial planning specialist, that's a title you don't hear that often, and founder of The Summerhill Firm, a firm that's dedicated to helping affluent women maintain their lifestyles and thrive post-divorce. She was previously a banker at J.P. Morgan, helping individual investors manage over a billion dollars and pivoted because she wanted to work directly with women. Olivia, I am so excited to dig into this topic with you. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. Let's get started. I know you're not a divorce attorney, and I wanted to make that distinction up front because I'd love for you to tell people about the difference between what you do and what a divorce attorney does, because you are all about the money. You take a deeper dive into the finances than an attorney would usually take. Is that correct? I'm asked this quite a bit, and the personal answer, as well as the business answer, kind of coincide of, I realized after over a decade in finance and wealth management and private banking, that there was such a need for women post-divorce who went through this big divorce process still not understanding the finances. So instead of me managing their assets post-divorce, I actually should go during the divorce and help with the finances and emotions. So that was kind of the, the real pivot point of, wow, I could focus all of my time and help these women during divorce come out more successful, as well as I finally, after a decade in finance, addressed my childhood trauma and my own parents' ultra-high net worth divorce, which destroyed our family. And I realized after going to therapy, it doesn't have to be that way. So my firm, I try my best. And what I do day to day is work with women so that they don't have their families destroyed with the finances. That's why I do what I do. Was it particularly from your mother's standpoint 
that you found the process so difficult and that's what sort of motivated you to this specific path? Great question. So it was actually both parents. It was not just the male spouse that was greedy, wanting to not give her anything, doing everything wrong. It was also my mother. So I absolutely see both points of view. I'm collaboratively trained. I'm a mediator. I love lowering the emotions for both parties and being that neutral understanding of where they're both coming from. Both my parents did a terrible job involving police, child services, going back for years and years with the money. And so I come into the divorce cases with clients, seeing both parts and seeing how everyone can make mistakes. It's not just the in a heterosexual couple. It's not just the husband who is the billionaire making the money and she's a stay-at-home mom doing nothing wrong with the finances. Let's actually see what we can do to not make mistakes on both sides. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this was a formative event in your life. And then later you yourself went through a divorce. How was your own divorce? Was that hopefully a very different experience psychologically? It was. So I ended up during the therapy process, addressing my childhood trauma, addressing all of my own financial quirks and what I needed to get out of my own personal self-development and realized, oh, we could be best friends during the divorce process and communicate during the divorce process. And it was, I think it cost $300 with just filing with a mediator. It was the easiest process in the world. But that's also because I had the emotional maturity and I had the experience and knowledge of what I do day to day so I could make it easy. And of course, I did not want to do exactly what my parents did wrong. So that played into it as well. So it was surprising and shocking at how easy it was and how you can do divorce so simply. Do you think that's a good experience for one's certified financial planner to have had, knowing that you know how this can be? I think it's helpful. I will say in most of my client cases and with the conversations I have, I don't bring it up because you need to focus on your own divorce. So it's not something that I bring into conversation all the time saying, oh, I can show you how easy it is. And here's my really great success story. But it is helpful for the background knowledge of, okay, she's been through a divorce as well. So she can relate in that way. Yes. Do you only have women clients? I do only have women clients. Sometimes though, if they're on a good term with their soon-to-be ex, I'll bring them into the conversation. And again, I'm just talking today, heterosexual. It can be any type of relationship, but I'll Mm -hmm. usually work as an advocate for the one client and it's the female client, usually the stay-at-home mom in her 40s and 50s. Usually there's two children still at home, nine, 13 years old, somewhere in that range. So usually I'm working with her, but we'll bring him in if that's necessary. And if that's going to make them get rid of the millions they're spending on lawyers, Absolutely. Absolutely. Because I can level that playing field for her, but also make sure he doesn't feel the emotional strain of the divorce and want to fight for the financial aspect because he's scared. So I can lower his emotions as well in a good way where they both benefit. All of us know a woman who has been screwed by divorce. I'm sure there are equal number maybe of men who've been screwed by divorce. But is there something that this particular woman that you describe, it's a stay-at-home mom, maybe gave up a career and has now found herself in a very different place. 
Why is that that we hear about so many of these divorces where women seem to get screwed? Do they not want to ask for? Do they not want to be contentious? Why do you think that is? First is they don't know what to ask for. They don't know where to turn. They don't know who to trust. In the world, especially the world I work in, ultra high net worth, there is a lot of professionals that want to work in that field that are very much not the right trusted professionals. So it's it's hard to know where to turn, who to go to, as well as at some point, if you've been in a relationship with someone who's been financially controlling for so long, even if a lot of my clients, I mean, they're Harvard, MIT trained, like they had the education before they started having children. So they are extremely smart. But with the financial aspect, because they've been in the dark for so long, they don't even know where to turn. They don't know where the accounts are. They don't know if they can actually afford to get help. So even in that ultra high net worth range, it's a whole conversation of, okay, what do I do? And if he's been controlling for that long, is it worth the fight? He is threatening me at every standpoint. Everything I say, he says he's going to take away if I say something wrong. So a lot of times you see women wanting to throw in the towel before they even begin. And that's where I come into play and and other certified divorce financial analysts and other people like maybe it's your therapist. They help those team members come in and make sure that she feels like she has a voice and not fighting. We don't want the voice to be fueling the fire. We're not trying to go into a three-year divorce, five-year divorce. But we do want to make sure that she doesn't throw in the towel. And that's what I see a lot at the very beginning of a relationship of working with clients. I'm always interested in jobs where people are with their clients, their patient, whatever it is, at a very unique, stressful, important part of their life. And it's a very intimate relationship in some ways. And so I would imagine the psychology part that you've studied becomes so relevant. How much of your time is working out finances versus the therapeutic, trying to bolster the likely depressed or sad client, and you work so intimately. How do you think about that part of the job? So that's a great question. I'm also a certified money coach, and that is all talking about our patterns and behaviors and emotions around money and long-term success around money all has to come into play during the divorce and that intimate moment that I work with clients. So I would say... It depends on where they're at in the divorce process, but we're going to start with what is the pain point, which is they need to know financially the scenarios, where they can go, what options they have. They need to feel control. So the first thing that we do is get the finances in order. And so I'd say 60% of the time, it's going to be, we talk about a lot of the finances while 40% of the time is the emotional, psychological side of things that can really enable a successful, smoother path on that car ride. So we're in the car, she's in the driver's seat, I'm in the passenger seat. She's always going to feel in that control when she's working with me. But if we need to go on an on-ramp or we need to take a different route, or if we need to watch out for a pothole in the highway going down that road, the smoother path always starts with the finances, but then also that psychological is, is a huge part. Huge. Okay, so I want to get to the biggest mistakes that you see over and over. But before that, we're going to take a quick break. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. 
I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jane Perlez, longtime foreign correspondent and former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. I've been a foreign correspondent in lots of places, Somalia, Indonesia, Pakistan, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I mean, China is not dropping anti-democratic paratroopers into Montana. But of course, we did see things like the weather balloon slash spy balloon riveting the whole country for a week. This is Face Off, an eight-part series in which we'll take you behind the scenes to key moments in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. We'll speak with a diplomat, a spy, a tech reporter, a U.S. admiral, even Yo-Yo Ma. Plus, my pal and noted China historian Rana Mitter joins the conversation. We'll look at what's driving the two nations apart and explore whether anything can help bring them back together. Face-Off launches April 9th. Okay, and we're back with Olivia Summerhill, financial planner for ultra-wealthy women. So, mistakes. I want to hear about what are the mistakes that women make over and over that you see on any level, whether it's a not a million dollar, multi-million dollar, billion dollar divorce, just a regular old divorce. What do you see? It does not matter the amount of money you have. What I see the most is you have to know your values. You have to know who you are and what your identity is and who do you want to be post-divorce. Anyone listening can do this. You can get online and look at some fun quizzes for values but I like to play the game with my clients. And so we talk about the values. We go from the top 50. There's so many values. You can go online and look at different ones and then consolidate them to the top five. And that is the guidepost that I see a lot of women make mistakes on is they might start swaying their opinion on what they wanted in the divorce because they don't know their values. They might take something in the divorce not understanding the long-term implications, and that has to play into their value system. A lot of women don't even know their new identity because they've been with someone for so long. So during the divorce process, I know it's so hard to think about doing more homework assignments and thinking about yourself long-term is very challenging, but it will benefit anyone listening to do that. So really understanding your values is the biggest mistake that I see is either not understanding it or not paying close attention and then taking the wrong things in the divorce because it's not matching your value system. So that would be something like taking the house when it's actually, this is a huge responsibility, a potential money pit, and it yet it feels like, oh, I want to stay with what's comfortable to me and where the kids grew up, something like that. Exactly. That was actually my next point. That's the big, big mistake that I see. Absolutely every single client that I've had wants to keep the house And I say plural as well, houses, but normally the primary house is the biggest 
contentious point that we have at the very beginning of the conversation of, okay, what do you want? Okay. Is that one of your values? We play into that. And then we go into what is behind the house? What is it really? Because sometimes I hear, and and maybe someone listening today is thinking, well, it's for my children. I want them to have stability. It's for them. Sometimes it's, I like that comfort and I really am valuing something secure and my house is secure. I've had it for a long time. And sometimes it's, oh, well, I've never thought about the finances. I want to bury my head in the sand. I don't want to think about it. I don't care. I want the house for stubborn, almost to get back at him. He owes me. And that conversation is an emotional one that we need to have. So maybe that's what someone here is feeling. And that's okay. That's valid, but might be a mistake. And most of the time, once you get into that financial numbers, you're going to see really what it takes to keep the house or understand the options of selling in the future all the taxes, all the other things that will be underlying costs, like realtors to sell the brokers to actually get rid of the house if you need to in a few years. It's just a lot of stuff financially you need to be aware of underlying the house too. So a little exercise I like clients to do is walk through your house and literally on every level on the outside, walk around the property and list out everything you love about the house. Is it Facing the sun in the morning? Is it the landscape that you love in the backyard that's private? What do you like about the bedroom? Tell me more and list it out for yourself. And then a few days later, go through and list out everything negative. I'm a very positive person. I like to be inspiring, but you need to understand what is the things you don't like about the house. Everything, list it out. And that will hopefully guide you if you're doing this by yourself without a professional's help on, okay, there's a little more on the negative. And then you can get the financial aspect and see really what is the positive and negative there. And then is it your values? And then you can make a decision because a lot of times, like we're saying, a mistake is to keep the house. I can go on and on about asking about that, but I want to move on because I want to dive into the wealthiest women because we're all sort of fascinated by that. And you have a new book coming out called Penthouse Divorce. So it's about ultra high net worth individuals. Why are their struggles so different? And why are their divorces so complicated or occasionally not? Let's start with the not. So everyone has emotions around their money. And I don't care wherever you are on the spectrum. 97% of Americans feel anxiety around money. Let's start there. And then on top of that, if you add divorce on top, it's just a huge stressful event. And we all want to have enough in our life for the survival mechanisms that are intertwined in our bodies. So we want to feel like we have enough. And even if you have 100,000 or 100 million, I have had clients not feel like they have enough because they haven't done the work on really what is their behaviors and patterns around money and what is guiding them on getting new things and not having new things. And really the work that you have to do It can be a journey to go back to understand where did you get your patterns and whose voices did you hear in childhood about money doesn't grow on trees or the wealthy are greedy. What were those influential voices to understand how you're treating money now? But almost everyone doesn't think that they have enough to survive on until they do the money coaching or they understand their values around money. And then if we get into the actual complexities of ultra high net worth, A lot of people have 
so much shame when they have wealth because they know that a lot of people don't have their situation. So it's a whole different ballgame on having the empathy around, okay, you don't feel like you have enough. That's understandable. And they never get to talk like that and be heard by a professional because most people think, oh, well, if I had 100 million, I would be fine. I beg to differ. And the complexities that come with having that wealth is how do you talk about it? You have to have secrecy most of the time because people don't understand it. Who do you talk to? All the different accounts. How do you talk about that to the right person? And how do you actually understand the finances is a whole different ballgame. So basically, everyone feels money anxiety. It doesn't matter how much or how little you have. Everyone wants to be secure with money and doesn't usually think they have enough until they do the work. And when you do have vast majority of wealth in your family or generational wealth, you have to have the secrecy around it because it's shameful to talk about it and you don't know who to trust. So it's a complex situation all in that. Let me switch on to a slightly different, or maybe not, when the woman is the breadwinner. So you're handling a divorce from a different side than maybe you normally would. How is that different for you? I know there's still a double standard out there. It feels somewhat odd for women to pay men alimony, though it shouldn't if we want to be in a society where men can stay home and take care of the kids. But we're not there yet. It's not the norm. And so this woman paying alimony and being the breadwinner seems like a different kind of divorce. Is it in practice? It is. I would say about only 10% or less of my clients are the breadwinners. And I hope that changes in the future, but I don't see that changing unless we change our education system and our value system as a country and childhood to change what we're messaging to women. So at this point, those 10% or less of clients that I've had and have that are the breadwinners, the biggest thing that I see is in psychology of money, and I would say this is in every case, men still feel emasculated if the female is making more in the relationship. I wish that those studies and the research wasn't correct, but in all of my personal cases, I've also seen that to be true. So if he is stay-at-home dad, it's still a respected venue, and, and that's completely valid to be able to do that that career path. However, there's usually an underlying passive-aggressive behavior towards her making more still. And in the divorce process, usually what I see is he is going to have a much faster and easier time when we get them to career coaches and we get them to the right people to see what they need to do the next steps and how much alimony, spousal support, or maintenance they need. They're usually going to have a lot easier time getting a career path that's going to make a lot more money than the 90% of the stay-at-home mothers that I work with. They are going to have a crazy hard time getting to where that male would be. It's just unfair advantage. And even if they have the same exact degrees, the same year, he will be able to get on his feet sooner. Even if he was out of the workforce. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Exactly. So that 10% that I work with, with him staying at home, he'll be able to elevate himself financially faster than the 90% of clients that I work with that are stay-at-home mothers. Do you think the woman being the breadwinner puts a marriage in a more precarious situation? That's all the studies that have shown. 
the emasculation of him feeling that way, it might be unconscious. So he is not trying to sabotage her relationship with work. He is not trying to sabotage the relationship in general. Most of the time, I like to believe that people have this goodness in their hearts and they want the relationship to work. So I think it's still an underlying unconscious behavior because of what they've been trained in childhood. You need to be the breadwinner. You need to be the person bringing home the money. You have to be a man making money in our society to be worth anything. We still have that. Your worth is part of your net worth. So if she's bringing it home and she's making more, even if he's working a lower paying job, I bet that there's some underlying issues there that if we can get in soon enough, we can get a psychologist involved that just works with marriage counseling. That's a beautiful thing because we don't need as many divorces as we have if we can talk about the finances sooner. But people have anxiety around money, so it's very hard to talk about. And that's why we see divorces still today. And money is power. It is. It is. I, I grew up in a very traditional household, and my father made the money, and so he had the veto power over anything. And that was one thing my mother said, you need to be financially independent if you can't. I want to go back to Melinda Gates and Mackenzie Scott. They've obviously both chosen to be incredibly charitable and try to do as much good as they can, which is obviously a wonderful thing. The divorce part, how is it that a divorce like that with hundreds of billions in the in the Bezos case, actually maybe both cases, how is it that it was so seemingly from the outside uneventful and seamless for the divorce? Is that, I assume, planned well before the marriage? How did that happen? People like you come in much earlier? So most of the time when you see something on television or in the newspapers or magazines, it's been two to three years in the making behind the scenes for the divorce process with their teams. A lot of the celebrities, attorneys that I work with, I mean, the confidentiality agreements that we are all a part of is so intense and beautiful. I love it. Do they have code names for the client? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because everything could be public if you do it wrong. So with that being said, it always comes down to communication in my mind. And a lot of the times we see prenups being set up before the marriage. So communication is key. And there's still a lot of stigma, and that's the psychology part of money as well, a lot of stigma with prenups. But if we can talk about the money before the marriage, I don't care, again, if you have $5 billion in assets, if you have $500 million, it's all about communication. And lawyers are not a bad thing if you can communicate with them and understand what's going to be happening during this biggest contract you're going to sign in your life, which is marriage. So. <laughs> It can go smoothly, but it does start years in advance that anyone knows about. And what about a postnup? How does a postnup work? Ah, So I've been hearing a lot about postnups lately, and I love to refer to people, attorneys who can help with postnups when it's actually appropriate. Postnups are basically, let's say uh, we're a married couple for 20 years. We have a semi-great relationship. We're trying to work on things. We've been going to marriage counseling. And... The stay-at-home mother, now they're both empty nesters. So a lot is changing in the relationship. And let's go and actually talk with someone about the finances. And an attorney can get involved to do a post-up to understand what would happen if the event happened of a divorce. This is just one professional's opinion, but it gives control 
to the lesser earner spouse in that relationship to understand where are we at with the finances and you're with a controlled party where there's no emotions involved because that professional will help with the emotional aspect. And it's just a conversation. It does not mean you're getting divorced. It doesn't mean that you're going to stay married. It's just a beautiful contract that you should look through with your own attorney, with the other party's attorney that created the document, the draft, and being able to just lay out all the money right then and there. And it just, I think it creates control and a peace of mind because then you know, okay, well, if we did get divorced, this is what would happen. I don't have to think about it anymore. And so let's stay married. Why not? I mean, it, it can go both ways, but I think it's a great thing. But again, I love communication. And I have a bias on money. I think it's a beautiful thing to communicate about. So there you go. <laughs> Most people's first reaction to a post-nup is, wow, this is really kind of not emotional, right? Very businesslike. It's a negotiation. Well, maybe the marriage is in trouble. And it can't help for me. And many people, it just seems like, okay, this isn't a good sign. I have had clients come to me. And they are, of course, the stay-at-home mothers. They're the ones that are being asked to sign this post-nup. And you have no clue who, you, what all these businesses are. You don't know who these names are on the contract. You have no clue what's going on. What are all these accounts? I'm signing away certain things. Like if I have an affair, I don't get anything. Like all these random things can be very intimidating, negative. And it actually could be a sign to say, oh, if he wants you to sign that, is he right for you? I don't know. I can't answer that for anyone, but it might actually guide a client to divorce because they're seeing what the other side wants out of them sooner. But don't you want to know that now? Wouldn't you rather understand the finances now and also not sign something? So that's when I come involved is, okay, this is not going to be something you should ever sign. This is very, very confusing and not going to be in your benefit. But most of the time, like out of those cases that I've seen that are just hard heading against her, most of the time, it's really good communication. It is a business contract and it's not sexy and it's not intimate and fun. But I still look at it as a positive because you're getting communication. You're getting control of knowing what is in the financial bucket, so to say. So I think it's still a positive. I mean, the idea of more information is always better than not having information. But have you had any divorces where they remarried each other? Oh, not yet. Not yet. Okay. <laughs> so right over 50% of marriages that end the first time in divorce is about 50% of Americans end in marriage. Then it goes to 60, like three to 65. Then it goes to 73% for the third marriages. So if they got divorced for the first time, there's a likelihood that if, let's say, they both marry someone else second time and say, oh, it didn't work, I really do miss that first partner that I had that intimate 20 years with instead of just two, they divorce faster. So they might actually end up with that same partner. I haven't seen it yet, but I have hope that maybe they realize that that was a better partner than their new ones. Grass is not always greener on the other side. Uh-huh. All right. So let me ask your best friend's getting married. What advice do you have for her going into the marriage about, is it make sure you have your own money? What are like the most basic things you would tell any woman entering a marriage? Know everything about their assets and your assets. 
talk to a financial planner, talk to a lawyer and do a prenup, whatever route you go. I don't care what your level of assets are. A lot of my friends that I would recommend is the same advice to whoever's listening today, whatever level of assets you have. Talk about your finances. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone getting married and they don't even know the spouse's debt and they are now married. It's shocking, but it's also our culture. So it's normal, but communicate, understand the finances. And then once you're married, touch base, maybe, I mean, let's not go crazy here. Let's just do maybe 15 minutes quarterly. Hey, what's going on with the finances? Over a glass of wine, if you want to make it fun, go somewhere fun and and have a great dinner and talk a little bit, just a little bit about the money if you can. Okay, good advice. Before we get to our lightning round, we're going to take a quick break. What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? (laughs) You get the goofiest game in history, Queen's Podcast. Hi, I'm Nathan. And I'm Katie. And we're the hosts of Queen's Podcast. Join us while we spill the tea on women from history. We get into all kinds of stories here, like biographies of lesser known figures, for instance, Saida Haltura, powerful pirate queen. To the stories you might already know, like Marie Antoinette or Cleopatra, but with a fun twist. Each queen is paired with a cocktail that'll totally get you in the mood to hear fun, juicy, and dramatic stories from history. Because history is so much more than just dudes on a battlefield, and we believe that the female perspective Perspective and roles are just as deserving of their time in the spotlight. Right. So come get to know these queens. Find us wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. You'll hear advice on everything from how to build confidence to how to get the best night's sleep. New episodes drop every weekday, and each one is five minutes or less, so you only have to listen a little to get a lot more out of your weekdays. Listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with our lightning round. Okay, so here you go. You may know this best as would you rather, but the only challenge is that you can't think about these. You have to just say whatever comes to your mind at that moment. Okay, you ready? Marry the person of your dreams or have the career of your dreams? Career. Run, bike, or swim. And I'm asking you this because I know you're an Iron Man. Swim. Really? I'm one of the very <laughs> few. Yep, that would you choose are. That. Yes. I know. Prenup or postnup? Prenup. Find true love or win the lottery? Find true love. Sweatpants or suits? Can the sweatpants be Lululemon? Like that's considered, because that would be a, yes, a sweatpant Lulu. Okay, I'll allow it. Okay. (laughs) Receive money or a handcrafted gift? Handcrafted gift. Okay, we have one in here that's sort of interesting. Be the oldest or youngest child in your family? Oldest. Why? Control, you get to be the leader. Okay. Go through a divorce or a death in the family? Oh, my God. I'm thinking about that one. Oh, because a divorce is a death. It is. I guess a divorce. Good news or bad news first? Bad news. Fiction or nonfiction? Oh, nonfiction. All the way. All the way. Okay. What are you reading now? (gasps) Success Principles by Jack Canfield. I'm reading like six books. Psychology of Money by Morgan, one of my friends. I mean, 
all of these books, Money Mammoth, and it's by Dr. Brad and Ted Klontz. So those are actually all three books I'd recommend to anyone. Okay. Would you rather drive or be driven? Drive. Laugh uncontrollably or be moved? Laugh. Okay. Be the last one to bed or the first one up? First one up. I get up at 4 a.m. every day. So. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Okay. What time do you go to bed? Oh, very early, like 9.15, maybe 9.30. <laughs> All right. Is that your Ironman? Is that the, is it training? It's crazy. Yeah. Oh, it's so enjoyable and like relaxing and peaceful in the morning. So I prefer it. All right. One last one. This is what is the best investment you've ever made and what's the worst investment you've ever made? And we have a very broad categorization of investments. It doesn't need to be a stock or a bond. It could be a class. It could be anything. Best investment is education. And all of my education, I have way too many degrees, certifications, and I'm so, so thankful for all of them. So that was a lot of money put into it and time. So I'm glad I put the investment into myself. The worst investment was marriage and spending money on the certain things I didn't need to. Okay. Good answers. Well, thank you so much for joining me today on How She Does It. Thank you so much to Olivia Summerhill for chatting with us about all things divorce and money. Thanks for having me. It was such a pleasure. When you have a moment, please follow us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to updates from the Her Money community at hermoney.com slash subscribe. Our producers are Catherine Tuggle and Haley Pascalides, with help from everyone at Her Money. The podcast is mixed and mastered out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is from Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Have a great week, and I look forward to seeing you here with us again. Onward.